All right, welcome to another edition of the R. Bill Simmons podcast. Hope everybody is doing well. And we truly have a special episode for you tonight. Close term and focus talking about his recent pod with Bill, which he graced us with before he left on his break, but then also going into one of the classic Bill Chuck pods and one of their best exchanges they've ever had in the podcast. So we're going to get into that, but before we do, let's bring in the three guests we have. This is a four-man weave here, so one extra from the classic uh, Steiny Moe and Rick Buecher with Bill. Let's first introduce uh, Johnny, because you're, you're first on the pod. This is your first appearance. I uh, really appreciate you having me, man. What's going on? Hey, thanks. I've been a longtime uh, listener of Bill uh, and definitely have enjoyed his podcast over the years, and, and like you guys have talked about, I've enjoyed sort of the the progression of things have changed and then uh you know listen to some of these old ones is always uh fun for me to to listen to some of the really good predictions that these guys make and then some of the really bad ones so anyway thanks for having me on yeah that they actually do make good predictions i've listened to some of the the wilds half-baked ideas and there's legitimately ideas that him and bill talked about in the late 2000s early 2010s that actually have been developed in the 2020s so you got to give these guys props, and uh, as as we've talked about in this podcast, Bill has seen a lot into the future. Um, we'll next go to Richard. Um, re- really pumped because you, uh, episode eighteen, pe- universal love for this episode. People really enjoyed it. We went deep into the uh, big ideas, guys. From you know Derek Thompson, Bill has in the pod to Malcolm Gladwell um, to you know just. Chuck Klosterman as well. So people really enjoyed that. So I felt like we we had to bring you on for a Chuck Focus episode. Well, I'm I'm very glad to hear the reception was pretty good. Last time I had a lot of fun doing it. Uh, love talking Chuck. One of my we'll get into it, but like one of my absolute favorite Bill guests. He's it's it's a fun listen every time. So uh, yeah, I'm excited for it. Thanks, man. And then finally, we'll we'll bring in Kevin here. So if you guys are listening to this pod, hopefully you have listened do the most recent pod before this and if you haven't i'd highly encourage it kevin and i did a four hour deep dive into the bill simmons career the official i would say bill simmons retrospective this is basically a 30 for 30 but in podcast form and yeah so far people are absolutely loving this uh people that have finished it have said it was amazing people that are starting it said this is exactly what they needed when bill's on the break so Kevin, appreciate you coming on that pod. And, uh, you know, again, had to have you back. We talked close to him. We got to have you back on this one, too. Thank you. Simmonsologist, Bill Apologist, putting out enough volume on this to fill six weeks of hiatus. You know, uh, it's a heavy burden, but I'm here to lift it. Yeah. And and as you said on that pod, I mean, how how much has Bill uh, given, you know, how much enjoyment has he given to us over the years this has been several podcasts a week, several hours for years on end. So the least we could do is kind of give back to some of the Bill fans and uh, have something like this. But let, let's start here. So for, for people listening, what we're going to do, we're talking the most recent Chuck pod for however long we go for. And then we're going to get into a re-listenable of a 2009 podcast. So um, for everybody that hasn't, uh, that doesn't know this, there's an account on YouTube called Sil Bimmons, which has the the pod. So when we get to that in the conversation, I'll um, 
I'll tell you guys what to search and we'll, and we'll, we'll link to it in the podcast description, of course, but I just want to throw it out to, to you guys to start and, and uh, maybe Richard, cause you had some notes in there. Um, you know, this most recent Chuck bill pod, how are we feeling on that one? It's, it was, it was, I never like it when bill goes on break, you know, we all know that he's going, he's taking his little hiatus. But if you got to leave us with one before you go away for a month, I did. I did really appreciate that. It was <laughs> he. He hits on all the topics that I love with with Chuck. You know, Bill talking like modern music is hilarious. Bill talks conspiracies and ghosts. They talk about um, you know trade dilemmas that different teams are going through right now. So it really it really ticked all the boxes that I'm looking for for a uh, for a Chuck pod. So I was I was uh, I was thrilled. With it. Now, what I thought was uh, funny about that one was, you know, uh, immediately Bill tries to to get the inside scoop of like boots on the ground. What are we yep. hearing in Portland? And then Chuck just basically says, oh, I'm not hearing anything. He Bill asks him, he's like, yeah, the city, you know, must be so must be so weird because of the because the Dame Dame trade drama. And Chuck just, he immediately just deflates the balloon and goes, well, I'm not actually connected much to the city and I have no idea what's going on and I don't really talk to people. So who knows? Um, it's like, all right, great, Chuck. Glad, <laughs> glad that you're here. <laughs> it's, it's not too, the only thing that's not a surprise though is Chuck has talked about that he's sort of a recluse there in, in Portland, that he lives like in, you know, in a cabin almost. So it's surprising that Bill actually thinks that he's going to, you know, like he's talking about the Dame trade and the the office water cooler. Well, that's not that's not what Chuck's life's about. So it is right. not a surprise, but it's also not a surprise that Bill is just completely oblivious. Well, well I can really relate to yeah. uh, living in a place and being like, well, I don't really live in this place. I just happen to live here, but I have no connection to like the actual city. This remote work world which you know writers and folks like chuck have been living for much longer than we have for just the last few years you know when you don't have a like a workplace to go into that's centralized that has you know a couple of dozen to a couple of hundred to a couple thousand colleagues whatever depending on the situation when you're just working out of your house remotely you know it doesn't really matter where you live you really aren't that involved in the in the fray of the of what's happening in the city and really it's like only his family would kind of pull him out to like go to different events or be a part of the schools or whatever it is. So it's kind of not that surprising. Well, and Kevin, you were interested in general too of like, what is the Chuck Klosterman friend situation on this? This, this was piquing your interest. Yeah. Well, I've moved around as a kid and as an adult and you know, when you hit a certain level of fame, I mean, how would we even characterize Chuck Klosterman's fame? I mean, below Simmons, right? Yeah, yeah. So below Simmons, but like, it's one of those things where either nobody has any idea who you are, or people probably are like, wait, what? He's Klosterman? He's known in the areas in which he is known, which sounds stupid, but I think like <laughs> it, amongst, among certain types, he's, you know, I don't know if celebrity is the right word, but a, a, a notable figure. Yeah. He could probably like move into those areas and then be known, but like anywhere else. Right. I mean, nobody's mm -hmm. talking to him at Publix, like messy or anything like right. that. And, right. uh, and so 
it's always a question when these folks like, kind of moves around between cities. And it's like, when you get to this new city, does he go make friends? Does he have dudes over to barbecues or is it just his wife's friends, husbands, and his kids, playmates, dads, yeah. um, which is also kind of interesting as a contrast with Bill's very rich, you know, friend group, um, which we have some insight Slash into. name dropping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, Bill seems like, you know, very, very social, obviously. And, uh, and so it's interesting to think about like, you know, Chuck's got this whole card game, right? Hypotheticals. You heard, have you guys seen this? I have. I've thought about <laughs> buying it. Has anyone here had it? I, I, I downloaded those. Oh man. When I did Peace Corps back in the day, I like downloaded them and was like looking at them. And uh, yeah, there were some funny ones. There were some funny, I remember there being one about like, would you allow like a human sentient gorilla to play in the NFL or like, yeah, that's a real one. That's a real one. That's a real hypothetical one. I forget what the other ones were. Oh man, I haven't thought about those in a long time. That's a good pull. I really like, first off, he's come out with multiple decks at this stage that are available on amazon.com and finer bookstores everywhere. But I bought the, I bought the first cards. My wife hates them. I, I enjoy them, but they're kind of like – I find them super interesting from the perspective of how Chuck comes up with this insanity. But also, to me, they're not really that controversial. It's like the answer seem, seems obvious, and that must say more about me than about the question. Like, obviously, you don't let a human sentient gorilla play in the NFL. Gorillas are so strong. It's just <laughs> insanity. Like, what are we talking about here? But if you're a couple drinks in, isn't that kind of a fun uh, – that's a fun situation to think about. Yeah, like, let's see him play. Well, I guess we just found the missing, the sentence, found yeah. the missing ingredient then. Okay. And <laughs> it's, the kind of stuff that, it's the kind of stuff that he would bring up on the podcast with Bill. You know, Bill, like, what, would, you, would, you, would you do it, Bill? He brings yeah. it up on the podcast, but does he bring it up at the park when he's yeah. walking his dog? No, no, but, like, but I could see him definitely do it back in his old, you know, Fargo days uh, at a bar drinking bush at 10 in the morning, which he's talked about, like that he would be doing that. I could see that be a conversation with somebody, and I could imagine the look on their face would just be complete, like, turning a ghost, and then they're like, that's an interesting question. But that's what that's what he's great at. Like when I when when I hear him talking to Bill, I have in my mind him drinking Bush in Fargo, but looking for somebody like him, a smart thinker. Which he didn't. You know, that's something about him that he didn't have. Right? He grew up in rural right. country, and he had a lot of time to his thoughts. <laughs> well, and that to me, that's the best part of the Closerman Bill Simmons pods is when Closerman turns his gaze onto Bill yes. and starts to become like therapist to Bill or psychologist, like what is going on in here? And it's like Bill gets squirrely. Sometimes he doesn't want to answer. Sometimes it gets heated, whatever. But like that's really – if I could have Closerman with like 90 minutes at the Charlie Rose table with – Bill Simmons or anyone. I mean, why is this not a thing? Why doesn't he just have an interview uh, show, a weekly interview show with different people? I mean, it would be the best thing going. <laughs> Maybe that's the podcast that Bill's pitching him because you remember that in the episode? Yeah. He goes, I'm going to do my my yearly call to you 
Um, Kevin, so that that reminded me. I want to touch on this in the pod because I, this was my favorite moment from the most recent pod was when Bill is going on about how it's a shame that celebrities have too much control in the documentaries about them. And then, <laughs> just like you said, Chuck turns it around, asks Bill if he would allow that. And then the best part is Bill not only immediately says no, but then he's like, you wouldn't either, Chuck. So he immediately gets defensive. Classic. Well, he, he calls so, that he he calls that you're doing that Chuck thing. Is, is what yes. <laughs> yes. Well, you're making me on. you're you're making me be introspective, which he hates doing. So you know, there's that saying that you never mature past the age you were when you got famous. Sure. Yes. And this is like a Britney Spears situation, etc. Right. And it, why that, this the, is probably childlike. The, the dude who wrote, um, oh, I William, uh, William Goldman. That's yeah. his line. Well, oh, really? Well, there you go. We know, we know Bill loves Will Goldman. And, and Bill has said this about John Hamm, too, of like, it's better that you got famous later. Right. Yeah. And so Bill's aware, but fundamentally his reflex is that he's on the outside. He doesn't mm-hmm. think of himself as, you know, a famous person or whatever. He has to think about it like, wait, what? And so that's why I just think that that reflex is immediately from feeling like an outsider. Now, clearly the, the quick no is, you know, oh, this lack of control, which would be, you know, heavy, heavy emphasis and value for Bill. And yet, I, I bet he wishes he did have a recording uh, documentation, right? Like the Gary V camera guy shooting B, B-roll constantly <laughs> during the transition from I've been fired to building up the ringer. It'd be amazing for his family. It'd be amazing to go through and, and, and sure, take final cut, whatever. But like this kind of building stuff, this stuff is the fascinating stuff. I think more people, I mean, if you have the means, why wouldn't you just have cameras going all the time? Get all your family stuff, get all your professional stuff. Why not? Bill has his kids on the pot already. I mean, yeah. <laughs> who, who do you guys think, uh, what was the, who do you think the writer was that wanted to profile Bill and he said no? That's a good question. I have no idea. I have no idea. Oh, he was got to be the guy who does all the oral, uh, oral histories, right? Oh, is there a guy that does that? I don't know. Yeah, he's done the SNL book. He's done the ESPN book. Those guys have all the fun. Oh, good call. James Andrew Miller, yes. Yeah. Maybe it'd be him. Hmm. Yeah, that would have been fascinating. An oral history of Bill in his 18 months from ESPN firing. Well, because James Andrew Miller, he did that 30 for 30 uh, podcast series. And I remember I was listening to that, and I felt like it was – a. I'm, I'm not going to say it was unfair to Bill, but it gave a lot more credit to Connor Shell and John Skipper than the Bill Simmons version, which I guess I should <laughs> be surprised by. But it was it was like a little bit of revisionist history to me, only consuming thirty for thirty from Bill's perspective. Sure. Mm. Mm. All right. Um. Let, let's let's keep going on this then. This recent pod. So, R- Richard, you you had a number of uh. Of yeah. Here. Yeah, there so are, why don't, why don't, whatever you're most hot on here from what you have. There are a couple of funny ones. I mean, I thought that the the conversation about, like, modern music, okay, you know, are there bands anymore? Like, who's the most 
influential rock band now, I thought was was a very funny one, and particularly with with Bill Aschuk. He's like, okay, who's who's the most influential rock band of the last you know fifteen years? You know, if my if my son came, he's like, we want to play a we I want to play bass in a band. Like, who's he looking up to? And Chuck, very interestingly, would not have guessed this. Says Vampire Weekend was was an uh, an odd choice. Um, yeah, do we? Does anyone here know why he would say that? Because I heard I, that and I said I haven't heard these guys in ten years, fifteen years. Yeah, I mean, like they're still, you know, like they're still known. I think I don't know if they like tour. It's been a while since their most recent album. I was never like huge into them, but like you know, respect what they do. Um, but that's just such an odd, an odd pick, and they couldn't really come up with any because I, I mean, I think their their broader point is largely true. There aren't as many bands quote unquote at the top of the charts or whatever outside of like i don't know like glass animals or like imagine dragons or something um but it, it their 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 discussion of like it what influence is because then they went on and said that the most influential artist of the past 20 years is uh taylor swift which which i don't like you know bill talking about taylor swift is is very funny um i think you know, she's easily the most popular artist of the last 20 years. I don't know if she's the most influential musically, because I always find her music very reactive to trends as opposed to, to setting them. But uh, yeah, that whole that whole conversation was very funny to me. And their discussion of like, you know, the the, the rock bands was because like, you know, Chuck and Bill could like, you know, name and talk about like the White Stripes or the Strokes or whatever. They'd mention them. Um, but it's funny that they didn't mention a band like, you know, like a Tame Impala maybe would be, you know, up there or like a Black Keys, something like that. Um, yeah, did Chuck, Chuck have a podcast called Music Exists? I mean, what, what's he, going on with Chuck here? Did Was that Chuck? Am I, am I remembering right? I, I thought that was Chuck and CR, unless I'm mistaken. Uh, yeah, it is. You're right. You're right. I, uh, I, was, I was mistaken. Yep, you're totally right. Yeah, that was an odd one. I mean, Bill, of course, is going to say – Bill's a prisoner of the moment, but also what, what music is Bill really listening to? He oh. had Stephen Hubbard on. He's talking about Taylor Swift. Yes, he's so, going to say Taylor Swift, and that's the easy answer too. Yeah. And I would say from a business point of view though, she is the, definitely sure. the most influential. I mean not sure. only so, from the way she, she – and I don't have any girls, so I don't listen to that. Uh, but not only from the way she just kills it from a touring point of view. But the way that she has been able to convince her fans from her previous label, who was sort of screwing her over, to say, look, I'm going to redo this song. I want you to buy this stuff, uh, which is, I mean, she's really like pro player mentality, you know. The, uh, right. Uh, but I would, you know, bringing up music, I agree. Who knows what? But Bill, it, Bill's just like us, right? He, at least me. I'm listening to the same stuff I listened to when I was in my 20s. And that's really something that is uh, – uh, for most people, you know, your your musical tastes are defined probably 25 to 35, and that's what you stick to. Um, but, you know, talking about re-listenables, there's a really good uh, one of the podcasts from is December 2009, and they talk about would – I mean, Bill expresses uh, – he, he actually asked uh, Chuck, predict who's going to – and this is 09 – predict who's going to be doing the Super Bowl halftime show 15 in, in 15 years. And Chuck is like, I bet it's a hip hop dude. And Bill's mind was blown away. He's like, there's no way. That's rock. You need rock and roll. And he's like, no, nah. Chuck's like, no, no. It's going to be, he, he basically, he, he predicts you're going to start seeing, you know, 
hip hop. They're going to be the ones that are defining that. And then Chuck asked him or Bill asked him, uh, well, what about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Because he's upset that at that time, somebody who made it in that wasn't what we typically think of as rock and roll. And Chuck, who's a, you know, who wrote a book on rock and roll, right? The Fargo Rock City or whatever it's called. Uh, Chuck's like, no, no, rock and roll is not what you think of. Rock and roll, he, he calls it modern music is rock and roll. That's, and and he, he also predicts you're going to start seeing you know, hip-hop bands eventually make it in. And, and I will say, you know, I've, I've said before that Bill Simmons is Mr. Conventional Wisdom, but I think a lot of us also fall into that bucket. And I mean, when I started seeing some of these bands get in, like Duran Duran and some of the, I'm like, that's not rock and roll. But when I re-listened to that podcast, I was like, oh, I get it. It, it isn't just rock and roll. It's, it is modern music is what, hmm. that's the definition of rock and roll. It isn't, and, you know, Guns N' Roses and Led Zeppelin. It's just modern music. Interesting. That's a hey, credit to Chuck for calling the, uh, the hip hop show. It wasn't even 15 years. It was, uh, was, it it was last it. year. Yeah, it was last year. Yeah. Well, no, uh, even before then they've had hip hop. I mean, Beyonce was on like five years ago. Sure. Yeah. 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 Here, here's another one. I, I want to throw this out to, to the audience, uh, whoever wants to respond. So we get, this is a quote from Chuck. 30-year-old me would have hated 20-year-old me, but of course, 51-year-old me kind of hates 50-year-old me. Actually, 51-year-old me hates 51-year-old me. Right, right. The, the, they, they get, they, like, unlike, at like the three-quarter mark of the last couple, they get very introspective, Chuck and Bill. Because if you remember, not the most recent one, but the second most recent Chuck episode, um, they start having a conversation of, if we met in college, would we be friends? That kind of thing. So, like, whenever Chuck is on, Bill and Chuck start talking about how, you know, they almost get, like, regretful and nostalgic talking about their youth and very introspective. It's, uh, it's, it's so, it's, I, I like Chuck in that mode. And I love when Bill, when Chuck forces Bill into that mode because he clearly hates it. And I remember listening to that episode and I agree, Bill and Chuck would not get along. And I think mainly it'd be, Bill wouldn't get along with Chuck because Chuck likes to push back on thoughts, right? Yep. And, and one of the things that I really love about Joe House when he's on is Joe House is just such a jovial guy that he gets, a, you know, he's funny. He's anything that Bill, he'll eventually, ah, Bill, you're right. Um, which is what makes him a jovial and a good hang and what makes Chuck Klosterman probably not a good hang, but an interesting one. Yeah, the, the Bill famous is that they'd either be best friends or they'd be enemies, which is always kind of funny. Um, another one here. And we, we, well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before we move forward here, we need to go around the table here. Would you have – what was the question? Would you be I haven't talked in you... 10 minutes. I haven't <laughs> talked in 10 minutes, guys. <laughs> What's going on? Is it okay? Is it my turn to speak now? Uh, go around. Would you be friends? Is that the question? Would you be friends with yourself at the age of 20 today? No. Yes, Chuck was, no, Chuck was 30 versus 20. Yeah, so it's like I you think... wouldn't like yourself at 20. Is that what it is? Yeah. Something like that. I wouldn't okay, so, like myself so, at 20. I'd why? be like – would you well, you're a twenty-year-old guy, like any twenty-year-old guy, like what do you have in common, or like you've changed so significantly that you're like, what is up with this guy? Hmm. Yeah, why does Chuck dis- dis- despise his twenty-year-old self so much when he's thirty? Because th- think about us. We're we're listening. I, you know, I'm thirty right now. I was listening to Chuck um, on Bill when he was in his mid-thirties. So what does Chuck now in 2023 hate? 
the Chuck from the newspaper episode we're about to discuss. <laughs> that's that's very funny. That's that very funny. The episode, and he he was off <laughs> on it. Because yeah. I think Bill Bill would love his past self, probably right. He would just say that of course. maybe he he did some things that um you know he he could have been a little less ballsy maybe. But like I feel like I would be in the Bill camp. I I respect my younger self. Wouldn't you hang out with your with your twenty year old self? Like you'd have things to talk about. You have similar interests. I mean, things don't change that much in terms of like these background interests. Like I don't have as much time as I had when I was twenty. But if my twenty year old self was like, "Hey, let's play video games. Let's go play some sports. Let's go watch some movies." Sure, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I think we. I think me and me and twenty year. I mean, I'm thirty, so like, I the the, the hypothetical of would thirty year old you like twenty year old you? Um, yeah, I think it'd be. I think it. I think I'd be all right. I mean, there's the horror of recognition, right? Like, just you know, you would you'd be able to see yourself and just like it would be brutal just from that perspective. Well, but, all the blind spots that you have become apparent. Uh huh. Uh huh. Exactly. <laughs> that, that, that exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Richard. Yeah. How many times did you re-listen to the to your to your episode of the podcast? Um, I I listened to it on like one point five speed one time. I don't I don't love listening to my own listening to my own voice, but uh, yeah. See, it's funny. I uh, maybe this you know, I guess this answers the question. Like I've been on a couple different podcasts, and I mm-hmm. listened to the one that just came out, the four hour one. You know, today throughout the day or whatever. I'm laughing out loud driving down the street, listening to my own jokes from like three weeks ago. My kids are saying, what are you <laughs> laughing about? Because I'm just popping the podcast. So I 100% would love hanging out with myself right now at same age, same age. Like, I really, I'm going to go out there. I really enjoy my own company. I would, I'm on the right. Great. I would love hanging out with myself. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Congratulations. Richard, since you've got the notes, do you want to uh, yeah, sure. the, the doc and move us on? Yeah, sure. The next like big one on the most recent pod that I thought was was funny was their discussion of is are are documentaries the new books? Are documentaries the thing that's preventing people from reading? And then they talk through a bunch of you know more serious documentaries. Um, Chuck tries to say there's this m- recent documentary about this racer called Senna. And if you guys know that documentary, yeah. is like 13 years old. Yeah. Um, but he, he, I, thinking about the wrong one, right? I'm, I, I think he is thinking about Senna. I mean, that is a popular documentary. I think that's what, yeah, that is what he great. was thinking of. Um, but I, I, I found it very funny to get a mention of, uh, I don't this, this might be not your guys' speed, but get a mention of Trauma Zone, Adam Curtis's Trauma Zone. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Adam so Curtis at all. Give us the background on that. So, by the way, uh, Chuck Klosterman talked about Adam Curtis uh, in Can't Get You Out of My Head about yeah. three, or, three or four years ago. And I'd never heard of Adam Curtis. That's and right. I watched I watched that uh, as well as Hypernormalization and then yep. the one on Afghanistan. I think it's Afghanistan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I had forgot about Trauma Zone. I haven't seen it yet. But I, when, when he said that, I looked it up. So I was like, I wonder if this, if this is Adam Curtis. And it was. It, these are the type of documentaries that are like make I, I, when I finished watching can't get you out of my head. I'm like, what did I just watch? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. It's, it's, it's Kevin. If you're, if, 
if, if you're not familiar there, he's Adam Curtis. He's this guy who works for the BBC and his documentary style is like, um, not found footage, but like footage that's in the BBC archive. And he right. crafts these very interesting narratives of like worlds where like people try to, people try to control fit, people try to make systems into control, but they're too complex. And then because they're too complex, they create all these, these, you know, uh, things that happen outside of their control as well. They're really interesting hypernormalization and can't get you out of my head. I just, it was, I was laughing to myself, imagining Bill trying to watch hypernormalization, which is just like this crazy trippy three hour long thing or can't get you out of my head, which is this like eight part thing about, you know, un unintended consequences in this very eerie way. It uses very cool music. Um, so yeah, just to, and Adam Curtis, I, I, I would, love to hear bills conspiracy bill would get a kick out of any of any of the adam curtis stuff he would love it so johnny rich and richard how many documentaries do you guys watch i think we heard that uh chuck watches like one a week something like that what's your that's what's your... that's what chuck said i i'm um I'm I'm a pleb. I'm an unintelligent type of guy. So I I, I, I watch my uh, I watch my YouTube documentaries a lot, like your John Voices or like your you know hour long sort of things on there about you know interesting topics. I don't typically watch a ton of like theatrically released docs. Um, I've I mean I've seen Senna and stuff like that because I like I like racing and stuff. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah I, I'm definitely less than one a week. It, but but part of it I do. Like if somebody has a strong recommendation for a, uh, a documentary, I'll watch it. And when, you know, when, when Chuck first brought up, you know, um, uh, can't get you out of my head. I was like, I got to check this out. Um, but yeah, I find that the, a lot of the, the Netflix documentaries are pretty, pretty weak. And going back to the original point, I actually, mm -hmm. it's not, uh, documentaries have not replaced books. Podcasts have replaced books. Yeah. And uh, Malcolm Gladwell, who I know has got a love-hate uh, relationship. Yeah. Uh, he's actually said the same thing and that's why he's pivoted like he's doing more podcasts as a, like an oral book uh instead right. of um writing books but yeah he had that he had that one podcast that was going for a little while i forget yeah. uh i forget what it was called tribe we're talking about uh documentaries how we specifically were talking about how um uh, uh chuck brought up uh, adam curtis's can't get you our uh Adam Curtis's Trauma Zone, this weird documentary about Russia that has no narration. It's a whole wild thing. <laughs> Damn. Well, let me All ask right. you guys Keep this. Rolling. Let me guys ask you guys this about this. You're talking about documentaries replacing books. What is the job? Are you familiar with the job to be done? Not familiar. Okay. So it's basically a, a framework for thinking about products and consumers buy role. products to do a specific yep. job it's not necessarily what we think of as the job that was designed for and when people figure out okay so it's like what is the job to be done that books fill like what is the job that that books do like back in the day you know 200 years ago this was like leisure reading this is the novel right the rise of the novel in england and it was like fiction was this big drive and you could definitely see you know radio television movies replacing that job to be done of you know i've got 30 minutes i'm gonna sit down and instead of reading this novel i'm gonna consume this kind of mass media but what do we think the job to be done is that how, how do they mean that 
that podcasts or documentaries are replacing books? Like in what way, Johnny? Yeah, you know, you bring that up. That's a, so another guest that I like on on Bill is Ben Ben Thompson, not the studio intellectual Derek Thompson, but Ben Thompson, the founder of Strategy uh, and he talks about the jobs to be done for TV. And initially, the the, the jobs for TV were of uh, the news and what's happened. The internet has replaced the jobs. I mean, people used to watch TV to get the news, and the internet's replaced that. And another would be uh, live sports, and that's the one job they still do a good job. Uh, another would be um, high quality entertainment, things like Sopranos, and and that's getting replaced by Netflix. And then another one is education, and things like YouTube has replaced it. And the last one is um, just like when you just want to zone out and watch. And that one's one that's still sort of up for grabs. But I think books, if you think about it, like, you know, documentary or podcasts to me are more related to books because you can literally have like a, you know, I don't know if you guys have listened to the, the Winds of Change podcast, which was about the Scorpion song. Uh, and they actually had the theory that it was written by the CIA, but it's like this 10 part series or eight part series. And it's, I could totally see that being a book. But instead, it was put together as a podcast. So, but documentaries, I mean, you, the books, as you mentioned, it, it isn't just, you know, you can have books that are for education, you know, textbooks and, and books on science or whatever. And then you get biographies. Yeah, you could have, I guess, a documentary on that. Uh, but like, you can't have a documentary on um, like a novel, right? That's the opposite. You, you can't have an, a documentary on a novel, but yet people would write novel. That was one of the jobs to be done for books was entertainment. And you know, you, so I do, I, I don't agree uh, with Bill's idea on the documentaries. I think he's looking at just part of the jobs that could be done by books, but not all of them. Yeah, I think Excellent Bill- analysis. That is, that is, that was very good. Thank you, Johnny. Um, the, it's, it's funny that Bill doesn't see that because he literally turned his book, The Book of Basketball, into a podcast. Like, yeah. what was it, two years ago, three years ago, whatever that was? And he, 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 he made that exact assessment. He saw his book. He's like, I want to do an updated version. And he did not release it as a book. He sat down, he made his fingers right again. And he wrote out monologues for the book of basketball 2.0. And it was a podcast. And you're right. And he so, didn't do it 30 for 30. It wasn't a 30 for 30 documentary. Yep. It was a podcast. Yep. Okay. But then like compare and contrast, right? We're talking about this information in different formats, you know, the format, the strengths and the weaknesses of the book versus the podcast or even if it were a 30 for 30 i mean i i think we're not we're not giving the format of bound paper and ink it's due i think we're missing something here but i'd love to hear you guys opinion on whether you think the book has any redeeming qualities or positives over the podcast or the video in general oh the oh absolutely the book like the bill's book of basketball is so much better as, as a book than a podcast. As a podcast, you you know you wouldn't be able to find it. The only, that's that is it right minutes. there. That is it right there, and that's why I wanted a book of Bill's old columns because mm-hmm. you know, Seth Godin says that a book in speaking about primarily nonfiction, but you could get this with some really excellent literature as well. A book is a physical souvenir of an idea, and when you gotten the sense of what a nonfiction book is about, right? You know, you're taking your notes, you're making your marginalia, you know, oh, this idea was on the left-hand side upwards a little bit. You can find the ideas and interact with them so much more 
quickly and deeply, I feel, than trying to find it in these kind of streaming, kind of sticking your head in the river of information, whether it be audio or whether it be audio and visual. I just think there's some real strength to the, to the book format that means the job to be done may have shifted or this job may become a greater percentage of the jobs that are done by books in terms of nonfiction uh, mm -hmm. reference material almost. But I really disagree with the idea that, oh, books have been taken over by this other thing. I think certain jobs have changed. And that's also why when we talk about Bill switching formats, it's funny. When we talk about moving from like written columns in newspaper to a new medium of the internet worked for Bill to a new medium of podcast worked for Bill to an old established medium of television with its inherent structure constraints did not work for Bill. And so I think he's kind of, he's missing the boat here a little bit. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think that the, the job to be done, it's not that it replaced it well, it's not that it entirely replaced it. It's just that I think that it did suddenly like the difference between, you know, podcasting and, and, and books is, you know, I'm assuming we're just talking about like pre-written podcasts, you know, Bill's monologues or whatever, because, you know, the, the, the more off the cuff style doesn't track to a book really much. I mean, it's, it, it still can replace it in, in some ways, but the, the, the point that I was, I was going to make here is that, you know, books are reading as an act as a more active activity. Like you have to sit there and you have to read the words and you have to comprehend them. Whereas pod, you throw on a podcast, like that can just go in one ear out the other in, in, way like you could you could do that with reading as well but like you need it's it's you're you're i feel like you're putting in more quote-unquote effort to read and thus can retain the information maybe a little bit better i agree 100 percent. well yeah. there are some podcasts though that i cannot listen to as background music yep. right like there, there's some that, that if i'm there are some podcasts that i will listen to that are funny or whatever and it can be background noise completely but if it needs me to think I, I cannot be doing anything other than me either driving or walking. Like I can't, uh, I've got to really just absorb it. Yeah. See, I would argue that podcasts have replaced music and what's replaced books is the explosion of streaming TV. Definitely music is suffering because of podcasts. That's for sure. I mean, it used to be you hop in your car, your only form of entertainment was the live radio. That was it. There was nothing else. You know, Apple CarPlay and all these other things have definitely taken, and it's taken in a beating of the amount of music I listen to. I listen to a lot less music because of that. Yeah, Bill. Bill and, chose. Bill sold it to Spotify, which was Bill sold the Ringer to Spotify, which is previously known strictly as a music streaming service. It, so, yeah, and it's, it's it's amazing to me that they have not made it exclusive to Spotify, but free, similar to it, the uh, um, what uh, the the Joe Rogan experience, you know, make it free, but exclusive. And I bring that up because I don't know what apps you listen to for, for a podcast, but I use Apple podcast, but it's not because I think it's easy. It's just, it's available, but like that space of like who owns podcasts is still out there. And I mean, if I were Spotify, I would be trying to make these guys exclusive, um, as a way to force people to be like, Hey, I'll download the Spotify app and I will get a free account and whatever. But, the, but there's an article out there that bill specifically was the one who stopped them from doing it. 
Yes, I 100% agreed. <laughs> ben Thompson, I think, uh, of Stratechery would tell him you should be making this exclusive. And yeah. I'll tell you, the reason why he is doing that is because he does have an ego. We all have egos. And if he were to move exclusively to Spotify, he, the number of, of listeners would drop. Now, would it be, you know, would every person who had Apple Podcast stop listening to him? No, he has a lot of super fans who would then be like, all right, I'm moving my, my, my podcast experience to Spotify. Uh, but it, it would cut down on the number of users or listeners he has. And I don't think his ego wants that, even though his business interest is supposed to be helping out Spotify and helping them monetize things. I, I mean, I don't think you guys listen no. to it, but half of the time when he has a, a commercial drop on Apple Podcasts, he doesn't have a commercial. It, you, you know, yep. it, um, and, and, and that's because with Spotify, it, I, I don't listen to it on Spotify, but I promise you they have a commercial drop in there. Um, but he doesn't. And it's like, dude, what's going on? You're supposed to be the head of monetizing po uh, podcasts for Spotify, and you're not doing what's best for that business model. I, I certainly appreciate that Bill keeps it out of the walled garden. You know, it's better for me because I could still listen to it on Pocket Cast. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's a bad business move. Like, it's not well, making Spotify any money. <laughs> well, Spotify, is, I mean, I have a free Spotify account. I could listen to them free. It won't make mm -hmm. you pay for it. It would just be you yeah. need to move your podcast listening to that. Mm -hmm. um, and which is, you know, the super fans will do it. Um, you know, it, it, he has a whole, you know, array of podcasts. You know, I only listen to his and the Ringer uh, rewatchables. The other ones, I listen to none of them. But he has people who listen exclusively, I'm sure, to the watch and the press box and love it. Um, if he were to move the entire series over there, he would, it would be a great impact for their business. Uh, but it would also short term, you know, slow down his experience or number of listeners, which I'm sure he doesn't want. I'm sure he loves talking about how many uh, active listeners he has. Well, and it's good for his next move, too. I mean, he's going to want as many fans as possible so that when if and when he does leave Spotify and he does become an expiring contract. Uh, he's going to be able to to monetize as effectively as he can. Is that why he he rags on the uh, um, the prince? Because when I heard him do that, I'm like, don't you have an editor that should tell you this is bad business? Just like he should have had an editor. I'm sure he did, and I'm sure he turned the dude down, like saying when he you know when he went on a rant on Goodell, like this isn't good for you. And I'm sure somebody told him that. And he was like, forget you, I don't care. I'm sure he had somebody uh, somebody had to tell him like, don't. Don't do this. This this is not going to help you. But he did it anyway. So part yeah, of me he, wonders, yeah, maybe he is ready to ditch. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. Well, is that the evolutionary Goodell lacks the testicular fortitude that got him that got him <laughs> gone from ESPN all those years ago? And it made him money, by the way. I mean, him doing that and starting up his own, you know, you know, pirate ship, so to speak. I mean, made him it was a very profitable move for him you know, looking back 10 years back uh, at the time, it didn't look like that. You know, most people, especially with ESPN, most people, their brand is not as good as ESPN's brand. He's one of the, the rare exceptions who has made more money after leaving ESPN uh, versus like Jalen Rose is not going to make as much money in his next spot. Even if, it, if it's with the ring or whoever, like that was, um, it, it, it would hurt. But he was able to, to parlay that into bigger things. Maybe this next move will, will do that as well. Actually, I, I, yeah. he will. The next move won't be as profitable. <laughs> but don't you think that this Harry uh, Megan kind of outburst or whatever is ah. 
it's an outflow of his vision of the internal feelings towards them at Spotify. I mean, he's much higher, uh, it seems, yeah. at Spotify than he was at ESPN. And so, you know, you can imagine that he feel he felt free to be able to say this because this is the chatter that's been going on at the executive level. Spotify going, dude, when are these guys going to put out some stuff? Look at these numbers. This stuff sucks. Like this interview, are you kidding me? And all the pr- producers and people going, man, I can't get him to return my calls. We can't schedule the next thing. Like they're not being responsive. And so this is kind of like building over months and then it kind of comes out. Yeah. So, I, yeah. The thing is though, his agent, baby doll, um, whatever, Dixon. Uh, Dixon, that's right. Baby doll got purchased. His agency got purchased by the same yeah. people who Prince Harry have now hired to improve their image. And then he just right. goes and, and screws them. This was, that was popularized by this podcast that did the emergency pod. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think that I, I think there is a higher up Spotify executive that specifically used the word grifters, and then Bill just said that in the podcast. I absolutely believe that. <laughs> but you know, the crazy, the funny thing, or the crazy thing is Spotify didn't learn from that lesson. You know, that lesson being you can't, there's not going to be one host who has never done podcasts, who's going to be a, a hit, you know, uh, a Joe Rogan, you know, if you were to tell an executive 20 years ago, oh, this Joe Rogan guy is going to have a, a hit you know, podcast, no one would believe him. Um, but they're doing the same thing. They just signed Trevor Noah, Spotify did, to an exclusive podcast deal just really? in June, last month. They, like the, the, and he doesn't have a successful podcast. To be, I mean, the thing, the reason why Bill is good at it, he's been doing it for so long have somebody who's never done it like oh you like prince harry and Meghan markle like hey why don't you you're popular why don't you go on a podcast you'll make it popular that's not how it works okay but what's the story that sold that trevor noah deal oh i'm sure it was some executive of spotify that wanted to tell everybody look i was able to get trevor trevor noah on spotify yeah but how did he sell it internally how did he sell it internally like there is a story that sells it which is you know the category right Trevor Noah is a comic. Look at all these other comics who have successful podcasts, right? Trevor Noah has an audience, right? Coming over from The Daily Show. Like, there is a story there that you can tell that is a different categorical story. But even The Daily Show wasn't that, that popular. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it's a good story. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, here's how I would sell this, right? Right, right. Hmm. All right, Johnny, I know you have to go decently soon, and we want you to uh, react to the previous episode, uh, to the relistables episode. But before we do that, any, anything else we need to cover? Do we, do we need to cover the ghosts conversation briefly? The, 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 the ghosts real and the lady, the lady on the plane. Oh we did God. not talk about that. We could, we could, you know, they've, they've done conspiracy stuff forever. Let me, ask so. you, let me ask you, let me ask the table this. Is it more believable that we haven't found the plain lady, although I saw something today, or that we don't know whose cocaine was in the White House? Which is more <laughs> believable? Because it's insane that we haven't found this one. I mean, this is America. I mean, every redneck in the country wants to be famous, and this girl hasn't come out of the woodwork and said, hey, that's me, and let me tell my story and shop it to all the cable networks. This is crazy. She's going to be the first guest on the Trevor Noah show. Yeah, exactly. I'd listen. I would listen. It'd be or, exactly. or waiting for a Tucker on Twitter sit down. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I was just, I loved how much Chuck was completely shook by that lady. Like he was like, you could tell it as much. He was not bullshitting. Like he was, he was being real about like, 
this is going to be the new thing. More, more people are going to come forward and be like, this, this guy isn't real. It's going to be the new thing. He's like, he thinks it's going to be like some kind of fad that, uh, people are going to have like psychotic episodes and think that they can see the matrix or, or whatever. And he was like being totally legitimate about it too. That was, he, he wasn't doing that for content. I don't think I, I believed that, that Chuck was sincere on that. Yeah. That was out there even for Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised by that. Cause Chuck has, cause Chuck has gone a little more normy when it comes to his conspiracies and stuff. He said on the last, not this most recent one, but the last one, but the one before that, that he doesn't believe in the JFK conspiracy anymore. Like he's kind of cooled his jets a little bit on that. And then he sees like one woman having a psychotic episode on an airplane and it's like, this is the new thing. So I, I think though that he, that's more of a, for him, I think it's more of a statement on what he thinks people will be doing because they're just, right sure crazy sure 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 yeah good point yep yeah all right i think we're unless uh we have anything else to do oh maybe we should do briefly the bear did did we um do we need to oh yeah i I don't have too much on that i just thought it was very funny how bill they don't come back to it bill just very matter of fact it was just like listen they shouldn't drop it weekly what they should do is they should drop five and then drop two and then drop the last three. And then they just move on as if that's like some brilliant way to, um, you know, release a television show uh, in just like odd chunks that don't make any sense. Hold on. Let me get this straight. Bill would like them to release it in a schedule. He actually said weekly at first to think that helped him launch more podcasts. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's really, and, and honestly, that's something that, baffles my mind too is why these streaming companies don't do it weekly as a way to to capture that attention and and it's free marketing you know bill having you know andy finnessy or whatever his name is and and chris ryan talk for 30 minutes about the bear and just completely rave about it right like just rave about like when i heard the music by the way when i'm from i'm in my 40s and when i heard the music on the bear and they're playing all these uh songs and yeah all yeah. i'm like i promise you every critic who's the age 35 to 45 is going to say this is the best show ever <laughs> because <laughs> this music is hitting their wheelhouse like every cheap well, i mean what was it, is it uh is it andy what, what's his not not chris finney not finney what's the uh, andy greenwald yeah. he talked for like 10 minutes about how the end of the first season of the bear this was last year when they use that Radiohead song, he was like, I'm blown away. I'm like, oh my God, it's the song. Like, this isn't part of the, you know, the, 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 isn't part of the dialogue or the story, but he was like, they, the use of this Radiohead song. Oh my God, brilliant. And I'm just like, this guy, he's, this director is just playing right in your hand. Yeah. All right, so let's do let's do this. This is basically part two of the podcast. So for anyone listening, we are transitioning here to now discussing the re-listenables episode. So it's part two of a Chuck and Bill podcast from 2009. We will leave it in the description of the podcast. We will tweet about it when we have this out there. All of us have re-listened to it, and we're just going to go through it. So if you guys want to, I highly recommend it. If you want to pause this podcast, go check that episode out. Do that. Come back. Listen to it. Or if, if like a lot of people on the re-listenable or on the rewatchables do with Bill and the gang, listen to the re- re-listenables first. And if you like it, then go back and listen to this pod. But 
certainly whether whether you are planning on listening to this part or not, I, I would recommend to everybody to go back and listen to this episode. So uh, a couple things were, were to get through it, but I just first thought it was hilarious uh, in this. This is not only in this podcast, but also uh, in previous ones. And it, and it speaks to the, the late 2000s and podcasting is in its inf- infancy where Bill says that 90 minute podcasts are too long. They need to be split into multiple parts. So obviously so much different. And he, Bill even said that he, he stopped Corolla from cooking doing Pettif Isle in, <laughs> in 2007 when he was making Adam uh, Corolla uh, finish up his movie pitch real quick. So I just thought that was so funny that um that, that's like a relic of the time that for whatever reason, maybe ESPN was thinking it, maybe their numbers were in, maybe maybe people in general weren't listening to podcasts a lot during that time. For whatever reason, people were not listening or Bill didn't think they were listening to 90-minute podcasts. But let's... <laughs> I have a couple notes right there it, off the top of my head. Uh, one, I love it when his rewatchables pods are a lot longer than the actual movie itself. Very this is good. insane. And then secondly, do you guys know what the Corolla pedophile movie idea is? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. All right. For the listeners, it, it's like a, a prison camp where they used to do like Australia or like uh, Papillon, the movie with Steve McQueen. Instead, it's an island of only people who were uh, pedophiles. But yeah. Yeah, maybe that'll have to be re-listenables too. Um, and then they actually have two of those out there too because they re-recorded one after Bill thought he lost the initial recording. So that also tells you how, <laughs> that tells you how early we were with um, with podcasts. But but let's get into this now. So th- so this is kind of what sticks out to me at first. Um, so Bill kind of goes through a little bit of his career in talking with Chuck about newspapers. And I, I have here basically that he's claiming that the older columnists are mailing it in. They're, quote, happy for a paycheck while he is grinding and he's putting himself back in those late 90s. So, look, so as Kevin and I discussed on, on the recent podcast, Bill absolutely was grinding. The, the interesting part is, do we think that the columnists really were mailing it in or not? You know, that's that's because that sticks in Bill's psyche that he just feels like he has been grinding so much more than these guys and he's better than these guys. And this is that the key downfall of newspapers is that the guys at the top just weren't doing that good work. Yeah. And, and, and more specifically that the guys weren't grinding, they weren't given in their a game because they were protected by unions. That's why they had the, <laughs> the ability to do that, which is just like, it's, 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 you know, obviously, the thing you think of is that Bill had his own labor union dispute at the ringer. Um, and he, it's particularly ironic for Bill to say this stuff in 2009 where, Oh, these old guys won't go. They need to make opportunity for new people. And then during the union thing, during when the, the ringer was trying to go union, when there was also some stuff about, um, you know, was there enough diversity at the ringer? Uh, Bill's quote was, this is an open mic night. <laughs> he said that on record, like to a, like a journalist. He's like, this like is an open mic night. journalist or something. Yeah. 
it's and, and so just to so I mean you know pointing out Bill's uh, 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 Bill's being a hypocrite is like that's a fool's errand like anybody can do that but like it's it's so funny just in in that perspective he's looking at these old guys they'll never get out and then as soon as and then once he's on top he's got his own thing no it's not it's not open mic night like you guys like you you need you need to grind some more look on the one hand Bill is correct in terms of the incentives are not there once you hit a certain level of, you know, in the 1990s of being the newspaper columnist for the Globe or whatever. Um, you know, Charlie Munger talks about, you know, he knows more about incentives than any human alive. And every year he realizes how he's underestimated uh, the role of incentives. He's just like, look, anything you want to know, look at the incentives. And so I don't necessarily think it's because of any kind of union situation. I think that, you know, O'Shaughnessy and, uh, and Ryan, you know, you get to a certain level at that time in that context, they're not going to get rid of those guys, union or not. They walk across the street and the other newspaper would pick them up when there's still at least two newspaper towns and people would leave to go read Ryan somewhere else. Yeah. And, yep. you know, or Gammons or whatever. And, you know, similarly, like those guys had the brand for their level of distribution that, Simmons has and is taking advantage of now and will take advantage of again when he walks across the street and opens up his own shop and, you know, the hordes follow him wherever. So, you know, I think he's correct. But what he does, again, is continue to, like, feel like he looks at it from that perspective. And we see the hypocrisy because we recognize that he has left consistency space and moved into payoff space. But He's, his psyche is locked from his perspective on when he was having to figure out a way to make it where he wanted to. And he had to go out and around and go unconventional and guerrilla warfare to be able to get up there. And, uh, and so he, he's kind of like in denial or something about the fact that, and this is what, what's so funny about when Chuck pokes at him, because that's what Chuck is poking at is like, dude, you sold your company for $200 million. Like, what are you talking about? And that's when it's like turning the gaze back on himself for Bill to be like, he has to kind of chuckle it away or what have you, like face this thing of like, wait a minute, I am a public persona. I am worth hundreds of millions of dollars. I have, you know, had all these incredible achievements, but he still thinks of himself. It's, it's a conflict within his own mind because he thinks of himself as, you know, that, that gritty, talented, no one will listen to me, up and comer who was then proved right over and over and over again. So, so the, the idea though, if you take a step back, that the reason why the newspaper business went down was because of overpaid journalists is mind boggling. That's not why newspapers went down. <laughs> newspapers, what they had is they had a monopoly on the local distribution of news. That's what the, the pre-internet, they had the monopoly on the local distribution. They own the printing presses, they own the way to deliver the news, uh, which would be, you know, the newspaper dude throwing a paper in your, your front driveway. And people want to understand what was going on. And, um, you know, newspaper is actually, the it's an older bundle business than cable because people don't buy the newspaper just to, you know, for, for everything, they, 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 you bundle up Metro news yeah. and yeah. Local sports, news and international advertising yeah. and, yeah. and, and, and that people, you know, my parents buy the newspaper and they still do. 
for different reason than the person across the street does, right? And it's a bundle deal. Uh, but Crossroom also says that the first chink in the armor, uh, hopefully that's not politically incorrect, um, was the the loss of um, um, classified, classified ads. ads. Yes, yeah. which is just free business. I remember selling a bicycle when I was in high school on the classified ads. I mean, you used to, um, that's what you would do. You know, you'd buy cars on there. You buy bikes, you, and they lost all of that. That was free money. They lost all of that to, you know, Craigslist. Yep. And that was, I mean, that was a huge profit center. And he even mentions it. It, it costs money to, to support the, the front page. You know, that is an expensive deal because you're paying people to, to go out there and they might not get any news at all, right? They're, they're with the city hall doing whatever, and they're, they're grinding, and it might not even be a profitable thing for them. Um, but yeah, the, 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 he was bitter at those other guys because they're making more than him. I get it. But those other guys and the union jobs is not why. The internet killed it. The internet killed distribution. And now why would you subscribe to the local newspaper when you could get the New York Times or the Washington Post instead? So. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> like you could just look at the, the decline of newspapers like corresponds with like the decline of unionization in America. Like I'm not trying to be, you know, Chapo here, but like it, it's it, the graph, like just look at like unionization went down as, as newspapers went down. And it's, that's like an incredibly simplistic way of looking at it, but it's a data point that neither of them brought up. Not even Chuck, who's like trying to, you know, who's trying to take the more pro union side there. Um, it just, I, it, it doesn't hold any water. And like, I get what Bill's saying, oh, you know, the lazy, lazy, you know, journalists. It's like exactly what Republicans say about like teachers unions. Like it's exact, it's the exact same stuff. And it's unfalsifiable too. Like Bill's just like, oh, you trust me. I know that they're being lazy. You know, um, they talk about uh, theoretically, like yeah, Bill's like, you know, the Pats reporter, he only works five, he only works five months a year. And then the rest is, you know, taking vacation or whatever, which like, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to say Pat's reporter is like the hardest job in the world, but like, I, I mean, this is bill like off, like, does he not understand like the off season exists? Like people need to like work and travel and it's like a ton of effort. I don't know, man. Like it's uh, it's, it, it was, it, it was even by Bill's standards. So, so short-sighted. Well, well, yeah, there's absolutely no way that they were paying a guy to only write for five months a year and not write anything else in the seven months when the Patriots are off. So there's there's no way that was happening. So he was misremembering that. He, he must have been. But, yeah, there's a couple things in there. So, yeah, to your point about this theoretical, so I, I feel like he he has different things in the podcast where I think earlier he is saying that these guys did mail in their jobs. And then when Chuck pressed them on it later – he said, oh, no, it, it just allowed people to decide if I wanted to mail the job in or not. So he couched it a little bit when Chuck pressed him on it, which which we will know is a common thing in the 15 years after that they've been doing the podcast together. Um, also, just saying that Bill Bill saying I am very pro union in general and then immediately saying he's not pro union. I mean, that's just, yes, that's, that is exactly <laughs> Rosillo. That's exactly Rosillo saying he's pro player empowerment. It's just the opposite. <laughs> like it's just not true. Well, and I think what's interesting is, so Chuck has the biggest experience here because he worked for newspapers 
much longer than Bill. He moved around newspapers. So so Chuck kind of played the newspaper game where it was, let me, I'll start somewhere. I'll go somewhere else to get a better job. Um, I kind of understand maybe that I'm going to get paid more other places. I don't think Chuck necessarily wanted to, you know, I think Chuck's kind of what he was going for was to be a New York magazine columnist. So he always saw newspapers as a stepping stone, whereas Bill wanted to actually be a newspaper columnist. So that's a little bit of an interesting, uh, you know, situation there where Bill kind of had the dream of always writing for the newspaper, whereas Chuck kind of always knew that he wasn't always, wasn't going to end up with them. But I wanted to, to touch on this. So Chuck mentions he's he's making 51000 in like the mid to late 90s. And that was done by unions because he was the the entry level or the lowest salary was maybe twenty four thousand uh, prior to that at, at the previous one. I threw that into the inflation calculator. Fifty one k in nineteen ninety six is a hundred k in twenty twenty three. That that's not a bad uh, starting salary, right? I mean, if you're if you're coming fresh out of school and you've had a couple of years experience and, and you you're go, living living in Cleveland. That yeah, that yeah. that ain't bad, right? Goes, a lot goes of, a long way. A lot, of, a lot of bush beer. Dude, the yeah. median income in this country is thirty-seven thousand dollars today. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm. I would think that he, he might be Mister. There's no way that was his starting salary. I, 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 I mean, if if if, well, it's, if, if it was job. his right, that was yeah, his sure. Job. His first was in Fargo, and then sure. then that was his second was in Akron. Yeah, I mean, hey, like, God bless him, man. Hey, union work for him. Got him a good wage. Good, 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 good on him. I don't, I don't, I don't begrudge him there. <laughs> and it's so weird that, I mean, I understand that that was what was available for him to see. And I'm talking about Bill to be a newspaper columnist, that that's who he was reading. But Bill would not have been a good newspaper columnist. Like, he needed the flexibility that the, the, the form of the internet provided, just like Bill Watterson with Calvin and Hobbes pushed the format constraints and said, no, man, Sundays we're going to break out of these boxes. We're going to do something totally different. And it differentiated himself so completely to allow his art to transcend the format of just comics. I mean, Bill was such better, so well better served getting into the internet and podcast than being like, Hey, this is your word count limit. We can't do footnotes. We can't oh. do links out where. We can't do video. We can't do anything. Just give me a thousand words every every three days. Yeah, could you imagine him posting one of his post Vegas trip stories in a newspaper? <laughs> People, no, you're right. I mean, he, he came around at the right time. Um, yep. You know, the the in the, the idea, you know, when I was growing up watching the local news and the sports station and reading the local sports people, you know, none of them had any part of comedy like that wasn't what they were trying to go for Which and is why I mean, it's so ridiculous that he and chuck just go oh the 70s that was the best time to be a writer it's like really they've just been watching a lot of Mad Men and watching uh um, it must be they must be enamored by a perception or the reality that's of right. level of access right yeah breaks of the game almost famous you could really get embedded with these guys it's like yeah and what you write your three thousand word feature that's it like it's way better in terms of you know obviously we've seen the economics of the internet hit this profession so that we have the 
you know, the long tail and nobody makes any money except for the superstars. But guess what? They're the superstars. So they made it. But you know what? That connects to the quote that Bill had earlier in the episode where Bill says he, he, he's thinking about, oh, these guys are ahead of me. And he's like, I was never going to get the chance until 35 to hang out in the Bruins locker room and get quotes from Ray Bork, which my impression is that's what he wanted to do. That was his goal. And, you know, that was it was taken from him. I think he writes in the, the Red Sox book, his intro, where he says, you know, you grow up and the world doesn't work like you thought it was, which, of course, happens to everybody. We've all experienced mm-hmm. that. But for Bill, he, I think he always was going to be the insider in his mind. And, of course, he created this amazing media empire when he wasn't able to do that. He created the Sports Guys world, which Chuck has fun with later in the episode. But I think at his core uh, and what he always dreamed of doing, it was being a Boston guy hanging out. I mean, one of his idols is Bob Ryan. Bob Ryan talks about all the time when he was, you know, not only in the locker rooms, he was having dinner with those guys. Jackie Mack, that's like a big reason Bill loves chatting with her on the pod before the Embiid uh, impersonation is because Jackie would tell stories of hanging out with Bird. So that's what, like, I think that's what Bill, when he was this teenager in, in college, he wanted to be the guy hanging out with Larry Bird, hanging out with Ray Bork and in quotes. And so that kind of still sticks in his mind of he's, he's annoyed he couldn't reach those heights. And even, even in 2009, now I don't think he would say this now, but in 2009, Bill Simmons, he's, he's making a lot of money by then. I don't know if he's making a million by then, but he's making a lot of money. He's yeah. very well set. Um, he, he's got his sports guys world. The podcast is doing great. And Chuck goes, well, well, you made the right choice, kind of leaving the newspapers and going to ESPN. And Bill says, not really. I quit writing and bartended for two years. So it's 2009, yeah. and he's still like, the success wasn't enough yet. I wasn't hanging out with – I'm not hanging out with Ray Bork. It, it's the thing, that, the thing that Chuck was – like really nailed him was like hit the, the, the exact quote is the position's not valuable if anybody can get it. And so, I'm, yeah, I, I'm not sure what bill wanted here because his like, should there like union union or not, if, if you're doing a good job at your employer, or at least a, a decent enough job at your employer, they're not going to like fire you because there's somebody else. And Chuck even asked him, he's like, should anybody be able to just like, you know, you come in off the street, I've got a good column. Here you go. Print it. I'm not sure what Bill would want here. Like, should there be a time limit on these on these jobs? Is that what he thinks? His position, I mean, China, well, Bill, this is going to be shocking to hear. His position was incoherent. <laughs> Bill's acting like there is an infinite shelf on the internet. And while right. there is an infinite shelf on the internet, nobody's reading your Tumblr. So the reality is there's still real estate. There's still waterfront real estate. And, you know, he was – he he got kind of like on the, on the, he got some real estate and he was able to drive some traffic there. And then they gave him better real estate and highlighted him. And, you know, we're, we're putting marketing dollars behind pushing Bill Simmons because it, he was growing and people were wanting to find him. And so, you know, he's kind of acting like anybody could be on ESPN.com. And if your stuff was good, you would be found versus, you know, there's two columnists at the globe and that's it. 
Um, it's it's certainly obviously there was you know dozens of of writers at ESPN or even just Page Two, but but it's still finite. They can't give everybody you know who comes up with one good idea for a column. Who knows if they can pound it out, right? The difference between being a reliever and a starting pitcher. Um, it's just. It, it really was, as you say, Richard, it really was an incoherent point. It was weird that he's not able to understand where Chuck is coming from. It's not open mic night. It's not, so I, I have to hop on to a work call in a second. Uh, but before I uh, did, the one last point I wanted to make uh, in that same episode, and it's a, it's a really good point, and Klosterman states that the internet doesn't reward the best, but instead it rewards the ones who drive the most attention. And he said this was in 2009. And I mean, he's spot on. That's exactly right. I mean, Bill might not have been the best writer on page two. It might have been Ralph Wiley was really good and and Hunter S. Thompson was there. But what he did do a good job is driving the most attention. And that's why he, you know, at the end of the day, um, you know, was able to build the network and all the stuff he had. So perfect. Pleasure talking to you guys. Um, I got to hop off. but definitely, if we uh, ever have time to do a three-parter on Klosterman, I've got a bunch of <laughs> other notes that uh, as I was listening to some of the old shows, it was, uh, it was a pleasure. And it was a pleasure talking to you guys. Thanks. Nice talking to you, Jack. We'll, Thanks, we'll Jack. have you on again, man. This was fun. See you, bud. All right. Bye, guys. Is, is Johnny's next sentence complex litigation? This is John. <laughs> <laughs> Taking a work call at 8 p.m. local time? What are you is- doing? He's- Call in Singapore? Very suspect. Yeah, is he tra- trading like some options and futures or something in Asia? I don't know. Um, the, just to get back to the, just, just you know, we don't have to go like too much crazy water, but like the other, the, the, the other quote that I thought was hilarious from Bill in that whole conversation was, you know, they're talking to me. Chuck's like, yeah, you know, you know, your your uh, your your columns on the front page of ESPN. Why are you complaining? And Bill goes, this is at the end of the podcast where he's talking about how unions are bad. He goes, well, in six months, it might not be. It might just get canned. And it's like, oh, wow. So like job security is maybe an important thing to like being good at your job and developing your career. And, and just no no recognition of the irony there, obviously, from Bill um, uh, about how, you know, maybe if, if he was union, he wouldn't have to worry about being there in uh, six months. Not that that was a real concern of his anyway. Um, but, well, yeah, yeah, that's the thing. The way that he was talking about it was was – like he was really articulating a sense of job insecurity of like, if my yes. stuff's not good, I'll be out of my butt. This is the same guy who showed up at ESPN and a year later, you know, downshifted, moved across country, said, hey, tell you what, I'll give you one column a week or whatever it is, one ESPN, the magazine column, and I'm going to go moonlight on this thing. But let me, let me keep sending you some stuff just to keep my foot in the door a little bit. Um, he did that. He comes back. You know, he's already done all that. He's, you'd think at this point he would have already established in his own mind, if nowhere else, that, you know, if they kick him out, he can go across the street. Yeah. Well, and then speaking about the introspection piece, I mean, the, what I absolutely love from Chuck is when he said the thing that you're complaining about from his Boston Globe days or Boston Herald days has happened one time against you back then and one time to your benefit because he is on the front page of ESPN, has the sports guy's world. And then Chuck says, you're in a better position than Bob Ryan ever was. Yep. And I think that's what Bill's not completely realizing or 
or maybe he actually doesn't believe it because he is saying, yeah, if I have a string of bad columns, I'm out in the street. Bill still thinks that he is just a regular Boston guy, despite the fact that he's lived in LA for his entire adult life. And he lit, he, you know, sold his company for, you know, a billion dollars. He, he hasn't, he didn't do that yet in this podcast, but like, you know, he's nationally syndicated radio show and, you know, people listen to him, like the exciting column on ESPN.com, but in, in his mind, and I'm sure most people would, would think of this that way. I'm just the same old, you know, Boston kid who's, you know, going to, going to Celtics games with, uh, with my dad, but, uh, he, he didn't step back and take a look. And that's what Chuck forces him to do. That's what's so good about Klosterman, you know, as much as I like to clown on Klosterman for being a little bit of a, you know, a goofball and making some weird predictions sometimes he, as we've talked about really gets Bill to be introspective and Bill, I think, I think, in the moment, doesn't love it. But then later on, I think, you know, yeah, he still keeps having him on, you know, 15 years later or whatever it is. So, and he knows it's going to happen because it happens every time. Uh, Bill gets a little something out of it, I think. So should Chuck Klosterman write a biography of Bill Simmons? I, hey, you know, I wouldn't hate it. That would be incredible. Yeah, you know, another thing I loved about Chuck this episode from from someone who's listened to so many Chuck episodes over, over the course of the 15 years. He gets pretty heated in this. I would say he gets the most heated he has yeah. ever gotten with Bill. And I and I feel like this was a, a conversation that friends would allow themselves to have because they have enough of a rapport where even in the moment, if they, they kind of know they're going to heat it, but they're okay with it because they can sort it out later and, and they do that in this pod. But I, but I love when Chuck... And this is the example of him getting heated. He's like, yeah, Bill, like, you kind of feel like your column is lost. I don't think so, Bill. <laughs> and Bill didn't even say that. So that was Chuck sort of – and maybe that was Chuck being frustrated by Bill maybe thinking he knew the union angle more mm-hmm. so than Chuck because Chuck had actually been at the newspaper. And I think there's, there's a way of – because I think Chuck could have interpreted that Bill saying that un- newspaper unions killed newspapers right. and Chuck benefited immensely from newspaper unions. So it's a little bit of a shot. It's not a direct shot by Bill. He didn't mean it that way. But if you're Chuck, you're going, this is, I'm talking to this guy who's hating on one of the things that was really great for me in my formative years. And then on the flip side, Bill doesn't like the fact that Chuck essentially is saying that the internet isn't necessarily meritocracy um, because what, and this is what Johnny said before, is what gets the clicks is something that is popular for various reasons, but it might not be the best. And so I think Bill maybe could take that as a little bit of a dig at him because he's saying, what are you talking about? Like, I am the best. I am driving the eyeballs because my stuff's good. So I think that that was sort of a little bit of kindling in the fire and I will give Bill a ton of credit here. I think Chuck got a little bit more heated and Bill was able to diffuse the situation a little bit. And he was making a crack about Matthew Barry beating the commercial. So I felt like this was an early look into, you know, and I don't know how their friendship is now, but it seemed like these guys were legitimately friends. You know, things, things got a little out of hand, but they, they reeled it back in very easily. And it was a very enjoyable listen. 
that's what makes it so great is it was so authentic in like the emotion and the back and forth and that you could almost like chart it on a graph yeah uh, uh, for each person yeah they, they've talked about i think the reason it got a little heated or they, they both got very emotional about it was like a lot of the stuff the stuff that they talk about they could talk about you know, sports or culture or conspiracies or whatever. It's not about me. It's, you know, I'm expressing my opinions on those topics, but it's not about me personally. It's not like what makes me, right? And this newspaper stuff, they were both intimately familiar with. The, like the, the, the writing space, you know, trying to make it as a writer, they were both familiar with on different sides. And that was like extremely important to both of them, obviously. And like it cut to their core identity, right? Like it really got to them. And I think that's why they both really felt the need to def de defend their position in a, in a real way. And like, and, and like you said, Trent, they, I, I, I do give Bill credit for, you know, being a good sport about it. I'm sure he could have canned that episode if he wanted to, but you know, he put it out there to, to, to his credit, even though he, I personally think he came up looking a little silly. Um, but yeah, full credit to him there. Who's the better writer? Uh, ooh. Trav, do you have any, do you have an opinion there? Uh, who, who, have, who have I read more? It's Bill. Bill Bill is more entertaining, yeah. but if I am looking for an if I'm looking for an in-depth analysis of a subject that's gonna make me think, I would take Chuck. Yeah, I, I've read some of Chuck's books. I forget which ones I have, and I'm gonna be honest, I don't really remember them. I think but they're like, you know, they're fun little I don't I don't put too much stock in them as like, you know, being like super meaningful or anything, but they're fun little things to tickle your brain for a minute and go, oh, that's an, that's an interesting way to look at it. And then you think about it later and it's like, okay, it's not not that interesting, but I, I still liked it. Um, Isn't it harder to find Klosterman's stuff? Uh, the, the articles, yeah. I mean, what, he was like, the editor They're just all over miles. the place. But yeah, I, I, if, you, if you asked me what's Chuck's most recent uh, magazine article, I wouldn't be able to find it. I don't know if he does as much article writing anymore. Cause I mean, he, he, I think he's doing a lot of just, just, I think he just writes books now. He has that book on the nineties or whatever that just came out, which, you know, I didn't Did read, you, but he talked about it. Man, I was disappointed in that book. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> to be honest with you. Oh, to, uh, no, tell us a little bit if, if you're okay with that, because that's been a, that's a bit of big topic on the sub. People have strong opinions on that. Well, I don't even really, it's not even that memorable. I mean, it's just like, dude, I was nine to 19 in the nineties. This should be, and I like Klosterman, this should be automatic. And, uh, you know, I asked for it for a gift for Christmas or my birthday or whatever. And, uh, I got it and I read it and I was just like, kind of meh. Just like, yeah, I was kind of, you know, got higher expectations. But, you know, I think the interesting thing is I feel like Klosterman I guess this was just really lately because we were talking about how innovative and differentiated Simmons was back in the 2000s. But I feel like Klosterman is a more interesting writer. He makes, he'll take you places you don't know where you're going to go or what, how he's going to be approaching a subject. He's talking about things that I don't know anything about all this music and pop culture stuff that he's deep into. He's got some kind of music cred in with. Um, but I, I don't know where to find his stuff. Where, how does one just find all his stuff? And the, versus, 
Bill has always had a home base, you know, and that's the difference between being freelance and being an author and moving from newspaper to newspaper and having kind of more of a, I would assume like a conventional journalistic uh, career for Klosterman. Whereas Bill was, you know, going to stay in Boston, work his way up the newspaper route, you know, found out this is going to take forever. My talent's not being recognized and promoted here. And he's at ESPN for 15 years. You know where to find his stuff. And you know the schedule it's on. It's there every three days or whatever it is. It's in the magazine. And so that really enables you to create a deeper relationship with all the things we talked about. Please see for our previous pod. Uh, and so it's interesting because you're right. I mean, so much more entertainment and time with, with Simmons. But maybe Klosterman could have had something like that if he'd had a home base for 20 years. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, maybe he would argue that his books are the home base, but I, I definitely see where you're going. Well, and, and Klosterman, I think he – like he's somebody there, – there's a couple things. The one, the one thing that sticks out with me is he did an interview with Kobe at one point. Maybe it was like 2008 or something. He was pre- it was later on in his career. It wasn't the early um, Shaq days. And I thought that Klosterman – he probably went on Simmons' podcast pretty shortly after he did that interview – and I thought he had a good insight that at that point in his career, um, there was a variety of reasons for why Kobe was acting like he had. And in the interview with Klosterman, Kobe is trying to answer the questions um, to set a, a narrative about himself and his personality that was sort of new. And he was using Chuck's interview to do it. And I just thought that was... Like that was an example of so Chuck can be in the sports world, but then Chuck wanted to do the ethicist, then Chuck wanted to do pop culture at Grantland. So I, I think there was there was too much Chuck wanted to do and then including his books to just sit down at one place. I think he would have gone he and frankly, think about it, he had that opportunity at Grantland. He could have been at Grantland for the same amount of time as Simmons, writing writing similar amounts as him. And that partnership, I thought it was initially initially worked out, but then you know Chuck kind of dropped off the map for a little bit and only wrote occasionally. So the one time that he tried to have the home, it didn't end up working out. So yeah, that. <laughs> and then the other thing I, I wanted to say about his book in the '90s too, and, and maybe you, since you've read, it, I don't know if you would pick up on this, but so I recall episodes that Chuck had done with Bill during the pandemic, like let's call it mid twenty and in twenty twenty one. I thought Chuck sounded down. Now, again, like if the subs listening, they would get on me for this having this parasocial relationship and, oh, who am I to, to, to know what Chuck's psyche is? But from listening to a lot of Chuck, it did seem like he was kind of depressed about the world. Not that that was an uncommon feeling, but that was uh, what Chuck felt at the time. He was expressing that in a public forum on the Bill Simmons podcast. And that was when he was writing the book. So did maybe some of that drift into the actual book where it just wasn't as creatively uh, inspired and he was more going through the motions just to get the book done as opposed to his previous work? That That's a theory of mine. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it, it, you could certainly say I, I think that that's possible. Um, there's no way that you could do work in the midst of that time and not have the prevailing ethos kind of seep into it. 
it was just such a such a bizarre bizarre time in the cloud of war, et cetera, et cetera. Chuck appeared very sad that people didn't like Bill Clinton as much as uh, they remembered. I remember that being a very weird <laughs> thing that he talked about. Yeah, because wasn't wasn't there a big uh, there's a big to do because I thought people criticized the book because Chuck said in the '90s it was okay for you not to have a political stance and everything that you could kind of sit things out, didn't didn't have to think about it too much, and that was a positive. And then either people disagreed with that from when they lived at the time or they took 2020 and brought it back to the 90s and said, what is Chuck talking about? I don't even think he's wrong. I don't think he's wrong. I don't even think his point there is like completely wrong. I mean, I was six years old when the 90s ended. I can't speak to it from, from that perspective. But like, um, you know, I remember Ch Chuck was saying how people try to portray their past self as their current self, which I think, you know, is true. But like... He didn't. He he didn't seem to recognize that there are some reasons why people might look back and be like, you know, oh, I. <laughs> it turns out that Bill Clinton guy wasn't actually as great as I thought he was. Also, it was just a weird point for him to to make that like, oh, can people not recognize that Bill Clinton was popular? It's like I, I I think most people recognize that Bill Clinton was very popular. He like overwhelmingly won two terms in office, and like you know, at the time, people I think generally liked him, even despite you know bunch of shit that happened so anyway that's a total diversion from like newspaper unionizations but that was funny yeah do we need to uh anything else we need to cover from the episode i i thought it was funny that i i noticed while listening to the 2009 episode and the most recent episode clusterman brings up the hold steady on both of them <laughs> he he brings up he's like yeah what's what's the internet is the the internet the place i go to hear about the new hold steady record and then you know on the most recent pod they're talking about like oh the hold steady have been together for years oh it's 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 just funny that this like you know successful indie rock band or like you know college rock band or whatever is just still Klosterman's go-to the man the man loves the hold steady me the music exists guy he uh his... i gotta listen to those i gotta listen to those podcasts i gotta listen to those sometime well, and, and to be, you know, we'll, we'll probably wrap up shortly, but um, just, just something that's going on right now. I don't know if you guys are in the sub as much as I am, but they're doing a ringer tournament. So I saw that they were doing that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like a March Madness 64 seeds. And what, what's going to happen is I think CR, Chris Ryan, will win that tournament because if you look at the um, – if you look at the numbers, like he wins every single um, at matchup by like better margins than Bill does, and he's facing Bill in this Final Four matchup, whatever. But uh -huh. that's really something that's like interesting to me is the whole the whole Chris Ryan obsession. I just never got it. Now, and the reason that's interesting with Chuck is because they did do that podcast together, and Chuck Chuck was the one who helped bring in Chris Ryan to Grantland. So if you want to talk about kind of the what it what's the phrase that bill uses um fuck uh sliding doors moment if chuck doesn't bring in cr to grantland in 2011 i mean a, a lot of what what is the ringer right now would be completely different without cr i mean he's he's the core guy in the rewatchables he is leading a lot of the editorial decisions for the site so it's definitely interesting that it was 
it was originally Chuck bringing him in because I think they had worked at some magazine together. But yeah, for me, like I look, Bill Simmons, I, I get it. I mean, Kevin, we just had the two hour episode. We, we talked for two minutes, uh, two hours, Richard. Um, and we could have talked a lot more. Chuck Klosterman, I get it. But CR, I, I don't I don't understand the fandom, but maybe maybe I can't say much as the guy who's doing a podcast about Bill Simmons. He he's always been nothing to me. He's like fine. Like I don't like if he's on the bill pod, it's like typically something terrible has happened to a Philadelphia sports team. So like, that's funny. Like that's cool. Um, but he's never been like much. He's fine on a podcast. I don't mind listening to him. I sometimes agree with him, sometimes don't, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that people have a uh, quite, quite a par- the parasocial relationship with him. They, they like him that much. Yeah. It's an odd one. Um, Kevin, any, uh, any closing thoughts here? Whoops. Um, no, this was great. Yeah, it was very fun bad. listening. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was tried. Tried last time we talked. You know, you mentioned this this two thousand nine pod that we talked about, and uh, I'd I'd never listened to it before. So this is a very fun listen. It's much before my um, my typical bill time. Um, haven't gone back that far um, a lot. So that was that was uh, that was quite a treat. That was quite a treat. Um, yeah, now, but, now, will you listen to some more of the like 2009, 2010 Chuck pods? You, you gotta, you should send me, you should send me some some choice cuts, and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll throw them in the queue. All right, fantastic. Yeah, may, maybe I'll do a um, the the sub needs content, so I'll I'll throw some. But yeah, I've been listening to some. There, there's one where Chuck is in, uh, he's teaching a course in Germany, and and the, the what's hilarious is that the first thing that bill thinks about he's like oh shit are, are you missing the nba playoffs can you get the nba playoffs over there that's <laughs> <laughs> just so classic bill thinking nba but it's an interesting thought of because chuck um he has that pod and then he he's not he he actually doesn't seem like he's having that good of a time in germany and then the next pod he does is six months later and Chuck's like, you know what? Um, yeah, like I got, ma- I, I decided to pr- propose after I was in Germany. <laughs> so oh. it actually had a profound impact on his life. He just didn't know it in the moment. Right, right. Yeah, he realized he had to lock it down. Hey, yeah. good for him. Good for him. Seems like he's having an all right sign up there. Yeah, although his his 51-year-old self does hate his 51-year-old self. That's so, true. That's true. That's true. That's all right. All right. Well, gents, this was fantastic. Appreciate you guys spending the time and, and going a little bit over what we had done. Um, thank you to Johnny as well for rolling on in. And it, it was his first appearance, so we'll have to have him back. But, yeah, in general, um, really appreciate you guys. Really appreciate all the listeners. And we will be, be back with uh, more content for you guys during this Bill Simmons podcast break. So cheers, everybody. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.